0: Our sermon text today is Genesis chapter 22. If you're looking in the bulletin, you'll notice that I forgot to change the text from last week, but the sermon insert is correct. Genesis chapter 22. Uh, The whole chapter, although I'll begin by reading the first ten verses. Uh, Genesis chapter 22. This is after the birth of Isaac. This is after... Isaac was weaned, and Ishmael was sent away with his mother after Abimelech gave security to Abraham and his land by a covenant. And so, we'll pick up in chapter 22 then, starting in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, sorry, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, and took the knife to slaughter his son. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word. Dear Father, we thank you for your care for us and that you have given us the great treasure of your word, the wisdom of your word, the light that it imparts to us. We pray that you would bless your word as the oracles of God, as the word which shows us our salvation and how we ought to live. We pray that you would bless it to us today, that we might be convicted by it, built up unto holiness and comfort. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This chapter is intense, climactic, uh, a great test that Abraham was to face on the mountain in Moriah. Now... Verse 1 describes what this chapter is about. Um, It's not said to Abraham initially that this is a test, but it says to you and me that God tested Abraham. That's what this chapter recounts, a test. God had already tested Abraham in various ways, but this was the greatest and the hardest test. It would test Abraham's heart. It would test Abraham's faith. Did Abraham really believe God? God had been very good to him. Did he believe in God? Or was he going along with the flow? God tests his people. God tested Israel in the desert. That's why we read Deuteronomy 8. God tested to know what was in their hearts that it might be revealed in the wilderness. God tests his church today. He no longer speaks to his people in the way that he spoke to Abraham, uh, particularly, but he does speak to his people today in Scripture, and these words test you. He also sends various trials through his providence. He presents you with situations that may test you, that will reveal what is in your heart, bring it to the surface whether you believe in God, in sincerity, and in truth. Some saints, visible saints, fall away in times of testing. The seed that was sown in the rocky soil had uh, roots that were shallow, and when times of testing came, it withered away. That is sometimes what testing reveals. But true saints are revealed by trials. They're strengthened, in fact, by trials unto the glory of God. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1 that in this inheritance you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That genuineness of your faith is revealed by the fires of trials, of tests. And if it is found to be genuine, it is found to result in praise and glory and honor. In this chapter, God tests Abraham, and we'll find that Abraham passes the test. He obeys the Lord by faith. His example is... And God's provision and God's affirmation at the end of this trial should encourage you to imitate Abraham, uh, to trust in the Lord. So pay attention to me in this text, first to the faith of Abraham, uh, second to the provision of God, and third to the oath of God that you might be ready to stand firm in your faith. I read the first 10 verses and that's what I first want to look at, the faith of Abraham. By faith, a believer obeys God, as Abraham, by faith, obeyed God, even though his command seemed uh, nearly incredible. It was, uh, seemed to be uh, something that he would not have expected, but, God, but Abraham obeyed. The test is described in the first two verses, uh, that Abraham is told to take his son, take your son your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Abraham's first test, his call, was to leave his father's house, to leave his kindred and his land and go to a place which God would show him. Now again he is told to set out to a place that God would show him, but this time he is told to offer there, not leaving his father's house, but to Kill his son. Offer there his son Isaac as a burnt offering to God. Literally in Hebrew, Isaac is placed last, so it's like your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. All of that makes it harder for Abraham. And think of the context here. All of Abraham's hopes uh, were upon Isaac. He had given up his other son following the Lord's direction, he had sent away Ishmael, and now Isaac was his only son. He looked to Isaac for his earthly care and his succession, as any father would look to his only son, but also for what God had promised, that these things would be through Abraham's offspring, and the offspring, according to promise, the one that we'd been building up to throughout all of these years and chapters. Would all his wandering from his homeland be worth it? Would they, in fact, inherit this land? It would take offspring to do that. Would the nations really be blessed? It was through Isaac that the promises would be fulfilled. And it's this son he was to kill and offer as a burnt offering. But he trusted the Lord, and he obeyed the command. Also notice that Isaac was not a little boy anymore. He was not a little toddler, as we saw when Ishmael laughed at him. He was strong enough to carry the wood for the sacrifice up the mountain, which indicates quite a bit of strength. We're not talking uh, about a little toddler. The same word to describe him, translated here, boys, used to refer to teenage Ishmael in the previous chapter. So he's probably a teenager by this time. Some time has gone by, he has grown in strength, and he's only become more dear to Abraham as now Abraham has had time where Isaac is his only son, and he has invested his time and energy and strength to equip him. And Isaac's faith in obedience more of a minor theme, but it must have been tested as well. He would have been physically able to to run away, to escape his aged father. Not only that, but there were preparations that needed to be done. Abraham rose early after God spoke to him. Abraham began right away. Abraham did not linger. He did not linger like Lot lingered in Sodom. He rose early and he got to work But it wasn't something that he could have done in an instant. It's not something he was able to get over with quickly. The work was not done in a moment. This test was stretched out over a course of three days and many preparations. You know how easy it is to procrastinate, right? It's easy to have work to do and to put it off a little bit later. Each step, put off a little bit later to stretch this out, but no, he did one thing, did the next thing. He did not waver. He saddled his donkey. He selected two of his servants to accompany them. He cut the wood for the offering. He, they set off on their journey. And then on the third day of the journey, he saw the mountain. All that way thinking about what he would have to do. In verse 5, we find his conversation too, with his servants, with his, with his young men. Uh, he ensured that he and his son would be left alone alone on the mountain that his servants would wait for them below. No one else would be there to be able to stop him. The two servants were left behind with the donkey. Importantly though, he says to them, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. All those verbs are plural. We might even say, I and the boy will go over there and we will worship and we will come again to you. Do you notice something there? He doesn't say, we will worship and I will come again to you. He knew God's promise. He would go through with his task, but he knew that his offspring would come from Isaac. That's what God had promised. Did it seem impossible? Did it seem uh, not the way things normally worked? Well, then again, Isaac's own birth was not the way things normally had worked. He trusted that somehow he and Isaac would return to them. Hebrews 11 verse 19 says that he, that is Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him, Isaac, from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham knew at least what God was capable of, that God could raise Isaac from the dead. He trusted in the promise that he had received and followed God's word. Well, he leaves the young men behind and he goes along with his son as they go to the mountain. What exactly God will do is probably still fuzzy in Abraham's mind, but he trusts the Lord that he knows what he's doing. Abraham then lays the wood on his son, so his son will carry the wood, because it's supposed to be a burnt offering, needs enough wood for the fire, and then he takes the fire. So imagine like a torch, something to carry the fire, and a knife, and they walk up the mountain together. But not only that, Abraham is tested by this heart-piercing conversation with his son in verses 7 through 8. Isaac knows the way a burnt offering is supposed to work. You don't only need the wood and the knife and the fire, you also need a lamb. You need something to offer. Just as God had said, Abraham, and he says, Here I am, so we have my father. And he says, Here I am, my son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both of them went together. Where is the lamb? God would provide a lamb. Perhaps Isaac would be the lamb. He had been provided miraculously by God to fulfill the promises, or perhaps he wouldn't be the lamb. In any case, the Lord would provide. The same God who brought forth a son from the barren womb of aged Sarah would provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. The Lord would provide. That's going to be a theme that we'll come up with, uh, come back to. But Abraham would trust the Lord and his provision. And Isaac seems to have trusted his father and the Lord. Both of them went their way together. But then in verses 9 through 10, they come to the place. Again, the work's not done. He has to build an altar, all right? So he has to take the stones, and construct this altar uh, so that he has a place to offer his son. Then he lays the wood in order, And then he binds Isaac, his son, and lays him on the altar. The child of promise, child of laughter, he laughs. The beloved son, who had only become more dear over time, this young man was now like a sheep to be slaughtered. God had commanded it. It had to be done. All things were God's. Would Abraham be wholly devoted to him. God continued to believe God's word, both his promise and his command. He entrusted everything to God and gave him everything, trusting that God would not lead him astray. God would not prove false to him. God's word would be trustworthy and reliable. So he stretched out his hand and he took the knife and he was about to slaughter his son. Both in Hebrews and James, we have reflection upon this faith of Abraham. Uh, In Hebrews, I already quoted it, part of it, but it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And so when he was tested, he offered up Isaac by faith. It's out of his faith in God, his faith in the promises that he had received, faith in the God whom he had trusted, that he offered up Isaac and was in the act of doing so. James also reflects upon this, not only as an example of faith like Hebrews. Hebrews is exhorting you to to believe and to endure in that faith, uh, to not be those who shrink back and are destroyed, but have faith and preserve their souls. But James is also commenting on the type of faith, which is saving faith. He says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith was active along with his works. His faith was completed by his works. And scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. The question in James 2 is the relation of faith and works, and really what the, the, the type of faith that saves. Can that faith save him, the faith that is without works? Saving faith is a living faith that produces works. It is a trust in God that responds believingly to his word. It's not a dead faith that even the demons possess, an idle intellectual assent that, yes, God is one, uh, but no, a, a faith that trusts in God, that receives and rests upon him, and therefore, by faith, embraces the promises, obeys the commands, trembles at the threatenings, responds believingly, spellcheck told me that's not a word, but believingly, I think is a word, responds believingly to his word. James affirms that it is faith that saves. He never contradicts that can that faith save him that faith saves him but what kind of faith not a faith that is alone it is a faith that you show by your works abraham was justified by faith and he quotes genesis 15 which teaches that but it he was justified by works in the sense that his work his works were evidence of his faith genesis 15's comment that abraham believed god and it was counted to him as righteousness He says that that was fulfilled. It was fulfilled when that faith was seen in action by his obedience and the promises were then reaffirmed, as we'll see in a minute. Saving faith and good works remain different things. James doesn't say faith is works, but they are inseparable things. And so Abraham demonstrates this living faith, this lively faith, this faith that is active by works As he obeyed God, even though it was difficult, even though uh, it was difficult as a father, even though it didn't make sense to him that he would do such a thing, uh, he trusted God. And so we should imitate him in this, to believe God's promises, as difficult as they might seem by sight, yet figure that God is faithful. He is able to do things far beyond our imagination and power. As Romans says, he is the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist, or calls into existence the things that do not exist. Uh, Is anything too hard for the Lord? And not only believe God's promises like Abraham, but show your faith by your works, to act on your faith, to respond believingly, to his word. To his whole word, all of it uh, in accordance with the way it wants to be interpreted, you know, the way it presents itself and teaches you, even if it doesn't make sense to you at the moment, hold fast to his infallible word. It's good to seek understanding, but sometimes you have to trust him and simply do it. Some of his commands may seem foolish. Uh, they might seem unpopular. They might seem difficult, you know, Uh, which one seem difficult might depend on your situation and who you are. Honor your father and your mother. Wives, submit to your husbands. Flee fornication, even the look of lust. Uh, You can think of probably many others that would either be unpopular in our society or difficult for us. But do you trust him that this is the good way, that this is the way of God? Sometimes his commands may seem futile or ineffective. Will these means of grace really lead to conversion? Uh, won't these unpopular stands on issues cause the church to become marginalized? How then will nations be saved? How will he fulfill his promises if we do these things that he has said? Will the preaching of Christ crucified convert sinners? But duties, the duty is yours God will work to fulfill his promises. We should trust him and to do it as he has told us. So, first, con- consider the faith of Abraham, which is upheld in Scripture in this case as an admirable example of one who believed God despite the difficulty and the trial and the delay that tested him. But let's look now at verses 11 through 14. I'll go back to verse 10 though, 10 through 14. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God, the Lord, will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. He spares Isaac. He stops Abraham. And he provides a ram caught in the thicket. First, we find God's approval of Abraham. The angel of the Lord stops him urgently, calling out his name twice. Abraham, Abraham, stop. Stop what you're doing. Don't kill him. I see now that you fear God. Uh, The fear of God is united with fear faith. You know, if you believe God, you're going to take him seriously. The fear of God has been proved by Abraham's actions. I see this has been revealed, brought out by this uh, occasion, and you have done well. Abraham had passed the test, and God then stopped him from going forward with the slaughter. Isaac was spared. Not only that, but a offering was still to be uh, presented his devotion to God would still be expressed by the worship of a burnt offering. And God provided a ram in the thicket, caught by its horns. We find that in verse 13. And then, uh, as Abraham offers that ram, he also names that place. Uh, Jehovah Jireh, or the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The word prov- for provide Is also the word see, uh, but it's the idea of he will see to it. You know, he will provide. He will uh, see to it. And so this account points to God's provision of a lamb, even as Abraham had said that the Lord would provide a lamb for a burnt offering. This account points to, first of all, the Mosaic ceremonial law as Isaac published the book of Genesis, he was also writing Leviticus. And uh, Israel had already been practicing sacrifice, but all the more now in the elaborate ceremonial system, which was to teach the people that God would provide a lamb for sacrifice, that he would provide atonement for his people, that uh, he would receive them by his grace through his provision. Not only the Passover lamb and the lamb goats on the day of atonement but also the lambs that were offered as burnt offerings every morning and every evening. And then when the temple was built, 2 Chronicles 3.1 says it was built on Mount Moriah. The very place, it seems, given all the attention in Genesis on the mountain, a particular mountain, that this place was later where the temple was built. And many lambs were offered for the children of abraham for the offspring of abraham these ceremonies would teach the people to look for the lamb of god to trust god to provide the lamb for the sacrifice an expectation that would be fulfilled in jesus christ and so of course this text also points to him jesus is the lamb provided by god as john the baptist said behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world Like the ram, Jesus was provided as a substitute for the offspring of Abraham. And who is the offspring of Abraham? Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus was a substitute for them, that they might be spared judgment and rather live. As Ephesians 5 says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The wood of the cross was laid on him, on his way to sacrifice, even as wood was laid on Isaac, on his way to his sacrifice. Jesus is the offspring of Abraham, as Isaac was. He is, more than anyone, the child of promise, through whom all the promises would be fulfilled. Jesus also It's not only Abraham's offspring, but he's God's only begotten son, the father's only begotten and beloved son, one God, distinct persons and perfect love from all eternity. And yet God did not spare his own son, but gave him unto death for us all. And so the the giving that Abraham showed and giving Isaac is a, a foreshadowing of a much greater reality of God himself giving his son for the children of Abraham as an atoning sacrifice. Romans chapter 8 reflects even the language of not sparing his own son. When Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Will the Lord provide? Yes, the Lord will provide. If he did not spare his son and provided him for us, will he not therefore provide all things needful for this life and the life to come? Will the Lord provide? Yes, he does, and he did through the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have forgiveness, we have renewal, we have adoption, we have the inheritance of everlasting life and glory, a place in the kingdom of God, God's favor, his provision even now, and his uh, great glory which is to come. And so the Lord will provide, and that's still true today. Let's read then verses 15 through 19 as we look then at the oath of God. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven And Abraham lived at Beersheba. God has sworn by himself to fulfill the promises he gave to Abraham. This was a reaffirmation of his covenant oath that was symbolized in chapter 15, where he walked between the cut pieces of the animals. It's a reaffirmation and summary of all the promises that have been given from chapters 12 to 22 as they're brought together here by a solemn oath that where God swears by himself that he will fulfill these things. They're received, as we saw, by faith, faith that produces obedient works. These had already been promised to Abraham, uh, but th- now they are reaffirmed. It is noteworthy that God swore by himself. Uh, Hebrews 6 reflects on this. What does it mean to swear by oneself? To swear is to take an oath. As our confession of faith says, a lawful oath is a part of religious worship wherein upon just occasion the person swearing solemnly calleth God to witness what he asserteth or promiseth and to judge him according to the truth or falsehood of what he sweareth. So we call God to witness. Hold me accountable for what I say here, that what I say is true or what I promise to do I will do. And so we all swear by God because he is omniscient, he is trustworthy and faithful and just, but God is no one higher by which he can swear by. Hebrews says a person swears an oath by something greater, you know, to ensure the reliability of it, and, and, in, and in a dispute it is final for confirmation. But the one who confirms all these oaths is the one who himself is swearing, and so he swears by himself to guarantee this oath. The one who stands behind every oath has guaranteed this promise. And so you, the heirs of the promise, can be assured of his unchangeable purpose. You have good reason to stake your life upon his word. And we find promises here. We find, in short, four promises. This is probably like the seventh time I've said this, so um, see if they sound familiar. But they could be summarized as blessing, offspring, uh, possession, and worldwide blessing. Uh, All of them echo Eden, echo the blessings that God gave Adam and Eve. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Right? All of these things are are given, but now fulfilled through Christ uh, to sinners, not on the basis of their works. God says, I will surely bless you, bless you and not curse you. You have the favor of God, fellowship with him. That's not just true for Abraham, but it's true to you who believe, this. believe in Christ Jesus. God will surely bless you. And then offspring, I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. A new analogy here, we've heard the dust of the earth, we heard the stars in the heavens, now we also have the sand in the seashore. That's a lot of offspring, right? Um, the, the people of God that would come from Abraham would be a great host, would be a multitude, would be like the sand that is on the seashore. And through Christ, the church continues to multiply, to be a great multitude, that God will raise up a great people throughout the earth to serve him. Also possession, here the inheritance is in terms of a victory, and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. Even their strongholds, even their source of power uh, shall be possessed by your offspring. Of course, Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Rather, we have here the victory of the church the victory of the people of Abraham, the victory, of course, of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he shall be victorious, that he shall triumph and overcome and possess the gate of his enemies, that seed of the woman shall trample on the head of the serpent, and they shall possess the land. Of course, that has happened today, not by the sword, uh, not in the way Joshua conquered the land, but still it's a conquering of the land through the gospel through God's work of providence, uh, through His grace and judgment, uh, the, His people shall be victorious. And the kingdom of Christ overcome the kingdom of Satan. And then worldwide blessing. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. In your offspring, in Isaac and especially through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, the blessing of, that is upon Abraham shall come to you and me shall come to all the nations of the earth. Not a few people here and there, not a couple of the nations on the earth. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed in your offspring. This is the, the great prophecy and promise. Prophecy of the conversion of the nations, uh, both Israel and the Gentiles. Uh, this is the promise of God that He will the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this that his saving grace of course is what can convert anyone and he has given a commission to see to it that this is done to disciple the nations and christ is with his people in the working of this because we're not making our disciples we're making his right he is with us to bless his word to bless his means for the blessing of the nations and so abraham receives these incredible promises And we can rest in the same promises through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been sworn by God, an oath. It's His unchangeable purpose that these things will be fulfilled. And we can see them being fulfilled even to this day. And what we have to look forward to tomorrow and the day after that. And so all of this is more reason to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord, because we have a great example here in Abraham, and he's approved, but also trust in the Lord, because he will provide, he will provide all things through Christ, and he has provided Christ himself, a lamb for a sacrifice, and trust in the Lord, because he has sworn by himself to fulfill these good promises to all those who are children of Abraham, who are children of Abraham by faith. This is his unchangeable purpose, he has guaranteed it by his very self, his, he has uh, committed himself to seeing that these things are done. Now, I didn't quite finish the chapter yet. Let me conclude with the final verses here. Verses 20 through 24. Now, after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has born children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Chemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jid- Jidlath, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, bore Teba, Gaham, Tehash, and Ma'aka. And that's how the chapter ends. It might seem kind of an odd way to end this chapter. Of course, the chapter divisions weren't added till later, but we have here a conclusion where Abraham Learns of what has been happening to his brother, his brother Nahor, who lives uh, out in the uh, land near where Terah had died, uh, and near Haran. And uh, this is a hint of what is to come in chapter 24, because you notice what was pointed out that didn't need to be pointed out, that Bethuel had a daughter, and that daughter's name was Rebekah. Do you think we're going to come across her later? Yeah. So there's a future for Isaac, God's already preparing a wife for Isaac, a future for Isaac, that Isaac might have descendants, that God will begin to work to fulfill these promises. God's not done. He's already working and now raising up Rebekah in the extended family of Abraham for Isaac. And also we have here 12 sons, 12 sons of Nahor, just as Ishmael will have 12 sons and then Jacob will have 12 sons. The child of people of promise have to wait a little bit longer. Uh, but they will also be blessed uh, with 12 sons. So in summary, trust the Lord. You will be tested, uh, but trust Him through tests and trials. Expect that. Hold fast to His word. It's more certain than anything. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways follow Him. Obey Him by that faith that you have placed in Him. Know that the Lord will provide he did not spare his own son will he not give us all things he has guaranteed his promises by swearing by himself he has provided blessing and victory for you and for the nations of the earth in jesus christ the lamb of god to him be the glory let us pray Dear Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, that you are trustworthy even when we do not understand your words. We pray that you would strengthen our faith and increase our faith, that you would use trials for our good to build us up, that you would also prepare us for those trials, and that you would bring a conclusion to them as well. We pray that you would grant us a sense of your love and care for us, that we might stand firm and give glory to you through them. We pray that you would fulfill your promises, that you would bless us, that you would uh, increase your church with our children and with those who are uh, brought in from outside. We pray that you would give victory to your people and to your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would bless all the nations of the earth through him.